0: Vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic.
1: This is Tucson Metals. We'll mute in the radio. Big up to the number one station that rules the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah!
2: My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long,
3: Goes,
4: get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. <laughs> Look him. They sent a couple of them home, they all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man. This is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to god, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker, huh? Uh, oh my mama, all that shit. <laughs> They are not bullshitting. They packed up. Yeah, I see. It's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was going to play with these amigos and they said, Oh, yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving. And they not bullshitting. Take this in, man. Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs. Look, ain't no grinding, cutting. Well, then, listen, motherfucker, dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga, said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and Billy, really, this just what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me keep up on my Malcolm back shit, on my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. they said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow on my mama. That's great. Look, ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's all from ride with that nigga. Fuck it. Go to the crib. Going to the.
3: I to the casa.
4: Hasta luego, mier. Muy bien. Yo, swear to God.
5: They say everything can be replaced. They say every distance is not near. So I remember every face of every man who put me here. shining They say every man must fall. Understands a man in this lonely crowd. Man who says he's not to blame.
6: And good morning, everybody. This is the Labor and Love Show, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Our station down here is at 21st and Florida Street, our physical manifestation. Right now, we're coming at you over your internet, your internet radio. And this is the Labor and Love Show, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time course, they're anti-union. They don't want you to get together with anybody. They want you to come to them with your hat in your hand, begging for work, grateful for anything they can give you. Well, that's why we need unions. So what do we got for you today? Well, um, we got, uh, we started out there with uh Beautiful tape, about two minutes long. I love to play it. It's a recording made by a guy watching uh, some workers at a box cutting plant. A boxing plant. Uh, Sort of a satellite of um, Amazon. They do a lot of work for Amazon. And what happened was that the workers were upset about some of the conditions, including a manager who was being abusive. And uh, they sent, they elected three representatives to go and talk to the uh, superintendent of the factory, and he uh, fired them. So when the workers found out that their leaders, these three guys had been fired, they walked off the job. And he described how they walked off the job. Look at this. i got to read my Malcolm X. It's a beautiful one. I'll play it again uh, very soon. And then we had Nina Simone with her version of I Shall Be Released. Bluesy, R&B. Like a slow blues. And then Malombre dedicated to our outgoing president, Mr. Trump, the story of how a young woman was ruined by a malombre. Uh, literally speaking, Malombre translates into bad man, but it's more of a curse word. It's more of a uh, an insult. Right right to uh, This guy's face. Well, in a minute, we'll look at our credos on this show. But let's see what we're going to talk about today. I want to go look at the Auld Lang Syne song. Maybe some of you, a lot of you heard it last night. It's the typical New Year's song that's played. And, of course, there's a story behind it. We're going to hear from Newsbroke. Urantini will talk to us about uh, how capitalism funds climate change and then decoded. Why isn't it okay to say that there are just some poor, some bad apples among our cops, but most of them are good people? Why doesn't that translate into policy and uh, on the street reality? We'll hear from Radio Labor and Postal Workers' Strike during the Nixon administration. History in two minutes. What is the PRO Act, and why is it a key part of Labor's 2021 program? A look back at Labor this year and what happened and what didn't happen. And then a little uh, little feature on Sarah Nelson. Sarah Nelson is the, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, uh, airline hostesses and hosts union, uh, a rising star in the labor movement, uh, you know. Blunt Spoken. So where are we going this year? Okay. If I had a hammer, what would I do?
7: In the morning, I am her in the evening, all over this land. I am around danger, I am around a warning, I am about the love between my brothers and my sisters All, all over this land. out of I ring out a warning, I ring out about the love between my brothers and my sisters, oh, all over this land. About the love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land. Now I've got a hammer and I've got a bell, now I've got a song to sing. I must
6: And yes, it's movement time. It's always movement
1: time. Your history books got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, when a grand grito de pasión se levantaron con razón. Black and brown fighting together on a day I'll always remember. And el Cinco de Mayo con el grito de gallo. Black, white, and brown bleeding together on a day I'll always remember. Because really, it hasn't been that long. So just in case Cat Williams had you guessing, let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson. century while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy. Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, which led black folks to freedom, with Mexico right there to receive them. in her tierra, libertad techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendes family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods. Traviesos, zutzuras, pachucos, fucloristas, punks, bomberas, jaraneras in the heat, haraneros with the bomb as beat, talking about what's really going on in the streets. 60s in the streets of oakland california black panthers organized for answers young lords in new york fought against wars the stonewall rebellion remained true for the rights of the lgbtq aim who was down for native rights with no shame in their game brown raised in la learning how to fight and doing what's right in the Campos of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak, one rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell, with my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell, telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day where my people are hunt down like prey. My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see. It's not about me, never was, never will be. It's about we. It's time to move, y'all. My people. It's movement time.
8: Thank you over the northeast wind. the weather suits my clothes, banking off of the northeast wind, sailing on a summer breeze, skipping over the ocean like a stone, everybody's talking at
6: Okay, that was our leadoff set. Hope you enjoyed it. We had uh, I had a hammer. The last one there was uh, Fred Neal. A song from the movie Midnight Cowboy. Everybody's talking at me. Going down to where the sun keeps shining. And we had Las Cafeteras before that uh, with Movement Time a little condensed history lesson about relations at the border and elsewhere. And uh, if I had a hammer, Peenie Lopez singing uh, Pete Seeger, if I had a hammer, still a very inspiring song and a reminder of our unfinished business to make uh, make the United States a true multicultural society. I guess there were some people who thought that had pretty much been done. uh, History was over and that was it. Well, witness what happens in our streets, in our police. We'll have a little more about the police later on. with Francesca Ramsey. Right now, I wanna look at some labor notes. And uh, first of all, there's uh, a union battle in Bessemer, Alabama, as the UAW tries to organize a union. Bessemer in uh, Bessemer, Alabama. The election is to determine whether a majority of the employees at a newly opened Amazon Fulfillment Center in Bessemer, Alabama want union representation. Amazon was represented at the hearing by the law firm Morgan Lewis, a firm that specializes in union avoidance strategies. In dispute was the size of a bargaining unit. <clears throat> the union had petitioned the Labor Board on November 20th with the support of at least 30% of a workforce that is calculated at 1,500. Obviously seeking to invalidate the union's petition, the company countered that the appropriate bargaining unit was more than 5,700. The hearing took evidence from both parties, and the hearing will decide who is right. If the hearing officer rules in favor of the union, a quick certification election could be forthcoming. It is far more likely, however, that Amazon will spend its millions on legal action to thwart a quick, quick election. The company will argue that it is protecting the franchise of thousands of workers from a predatory, predatory outside organization. Filing for election at Amazon caught the business press and many labor activists by surprise. But as Alex Press pointed out in Jacobin, with pandemic fuel growth has come an uptick in organizing at Amazon warehouses. The global health crisis and increased demand for Amazon services have led to widespread worker complaints about unsafe working conditions, including quotas that preclude safety measures they see as necessary to protect themselves from the virus. Right, here's here's the binary society that is developing here during the COVID. What's happening is some people, some workers, white collar workers, are able to work from home. Their work lends itself to sitting in front of a computer and a telephone all day and being able to work things out. There's another larger group called essential workers who can't do that. Their work involves face-to-face dealings Presence on the work floor, like at Amazon Factories, Amazon Delivery Centers. The Bessemer facility opened in March at the onset of the pandemic. It is an 885,000 square foot, four-story facility in one of Alabama's poorest communities. Amazon is also opening a huge New plant here in the Bay Area. The Bessemer City Council welcomed the paying with great fanfare, seeing these fifteen dollar per hour jobs as particularly attractive in a state with only a seven twenty five minimum wage. Now who could live on seven twenty five? Even in Alabama. The conditions at Amazon that have provoked nationwide actions against inhumane speed up, pandemic related and other health and safety issues, and callous disrespect have provoked a reaction here too. Union drives have often, in the South, have often suffered from a perception that the Union is a bunch of outside carpetbaggers. This might not be the case this time. The union represents poultry processing facilities throughout the southeast and has 7,500 poultry workers in Alabama. Workers at nearby Coke Foods held a public protest on June 3rd to provide protective gear and safer conditions during the pandemic. RWDSU previously announced a union drive at Amazon's Staten Island, New York Fulfillment Center in late 2018. In March, a small walkout at the same facility over the lack of protective gear resulted in a flurry of publicity. Workers at an Amazon factory in Shakopee, Minnesota, have also won local demands. After public protests backed by the local labor movement, workers won Muslim prayer hours for a large group of Somali employees. In particular, their efforts have received crucial support from SEI Local 26. No matter how deep or wide the organizing is, the workers' road to victory is marred with heavy obstacles. They face obstruction and delay. The company tried to postpone the hearing until January. Without a doubt, Morgan Lewis's attorneys will take advantage of every legal loophole to obfuscate and delay. Laying an election in as long as possible to work in any, weaken any union the union has built up. Aggressive management interferes. If and when the NLRB finally sets an election date, the company's anti-union persuasion campaign will swing into high gear. Utilizing a combination of promises and threats, carrots and celery stick. Whoop, carrots and sticks. Amazon will try to enlist some city councillors, other elective officials who raved about landing the warehouse in Bessemer. Remember how Bob Corker, ex-mayor of Chattanooga, lambasted UAW's attempt in 2014 to organize the Volkswagen plant. Corker threatened that the state would pull back its tax breaks if VW workers won their union. When the union tried again in 2019, BW caught, brought the governor of Tennessee into the plant to lead mandatory all-union anti, all-employee anti-union meetings. Labor Notes. Well, let's see. Labor Notes had an article about hmm. I was looking for an article they had about the year. just go to Labor Notes. Just go to Labor Notes. That, or that's where we saw it. So big companies like Amazon now, you probably know that Mr. Bezos, the, uh, the CEO of Amazon, is worth $200 billion dollars and and is on his way to becoming the first trillionaire in history. Well, how much money do you need, Jeff? How much money do you need? Okay, so 2020 in review, workers struggle under the weight of the pandemic. The coronavirus pandemic has claimed 300,000 lives, up to 350,000 by now, and this is only last week, busted gaping holes in public budgets and magnified the myriad inequalities that have come to define life in the United States. Notwithstanding a few bright spots, the labor movement struggled to find its footing in the biggest workplace health and safety crisis of our lifetimes. The year started with 3.5 percent unemployment, the lowest in a half century, in hopes that workers might be able to use the tight labor market to recover some of what has been lost over decades of concessions and defeats. All that came to a crashing halt in March, the u.s was slow to impose dramatic shake shutdowns, eventually it took a seesaw approach alternating between periods of lockdown and opening we have an economy that doesn't work during a pandemic it's not an economy that supports its workers Most of us are going to get it and some of us are going to die, said the president of the New York State Nurses, as the pandemic reached its early heights in New York City. Even as unemployment dipped, unemployment peaked near 15% last April, by September a quarter of Americans say that someone in their household had lost a job this year. Real unemployment, which includes workers who've dropped out of the labor force, stands at 12%. That's one out of every eight. 3.9 million have been without a job for more than 27 weeks. According to the Washington Post, this is the most unequal recession in modern U.S. history. The stock market's going crazy. People are making money, those people who can work from home. Unemployment rates for blacks and Latinos are at 10.3% and 8.4% compared to 5.9 for white workers. The hospitality industry, which in San Francisco includes a convention industry, a big money maker for the city. My local 510 has been shut down. since the summer. Nobody's coming to do conventions, those huge conventions. And computer shows. The real tragedy here is that people are going hungry. Yes, in the United States of America. While Americans get used to seeing cars lined up for miles at food banks, twenty-six million adults reported not having enough food to eat in mid-November. And that means their children was at the very top, saw their fortunes grow astronomically. Since the start of lockdowns in March, six hundred and fifty U.S. billionaires have tacked on an additional one trillion led by Amazon's Jeff Bezos, who we just mentioned, who now is worth $70 billion more, and the Walton family, up a combined $48 billion. Suddenly, just the act of going to work every day became a potential life-or-death question. right bus drivers were the first to strike, forced the city to sanitize buses and stop fare collection. Apple packers, working shoulder to shoulder in the county with the highest rate of COVID on the West Coast, walked out to demand safety and hazard pay. Workers in Amazon warehouses, grocery stores, and fast food bought for paid time off. Far from the mass strike that some anticipated, a reflection both of this disorienting impact of the pandemic, and how little real organization had been built up leading into it. Meatpacking and poultry plants stayed open throughout the year, and even as the workers, largely immigrants, contracted the coronavirus at alarming w- rates. One Tyson plant manager in Iowa set up a pool for supervisors to bet, to bet, y'all, on how many workers in the plant would get the virus. Over a third caught it and five died. Tyson's billionaire owner, meanwhile, saw his fortune balloon by 600 Hundred million dollars. OSHA, greatly weakened by the Trump organization, Trump administration. OSHA was almost entirely a wall. 225 meat packing workers died of COVID. Okay, there were valiant organizing in some workplaces. 30 workers walked out of George's Poultry in Springdale, Arkansas. protest the end of staggered shift, which meant fewer workers would have to cram into crowded hallways, which that's what that means, and push for wage increases. Teachers organized a sick out in Chandler, Arizona. Over the district's refusal to consider hybrid, a remote schooling as cases surge and dozens of fast food workers in Durham, North Carolina struck after a worker at a McDonald's tested positive and management withheld. At any rate, saw it. It's in labor notes. What's happening this last year in labor? Well, there were a lot of strikes. Let's see what we got here. A 21st century priority, the PRO Act will revive the labor movement and rebuild the middle class. Wages for all American workers have flattened over the 40 years and benefits have deteriorated. Costs for living working class households for what should be basic human rights like housing, health care and education have exploded. If you think these increases and the extra burden they place on average households are unrelated to the weakening of organized labor, you're mistaken. The Fate of 100 million working and middle class and poor households is directly correlated to the fate of organized labor. What is to be done? The immediate goal is to pass the PRO Act, Protect the Right to Organize Act, through Congress and have it signed into federal law. This broad piece of legislation pretty much negates four decades' worth of anti-labor barriers that the right wing has put in place to block the formation of labor unions and the achievement of union-negotiated contracts. It's not perfect legislation. It doesn't include the card check rule that was the centerpiece of Labor's failed effort at a revival in the early Obama administration. It would force changes that come close to achieving a similar end. What would it do? It would penalize, penalize employers who fire or retaliate against workers trying to form a union. Streamline the union certification process, although it doesn't mention card check. Prohibit employers from forcing employees to attend anti-union meetings, often deployed during organizing drive. Eliminate right-to-work laws. Right-to-work, get right-to-work. Right-to-be ripped off, ban the permanent replacement of striking workers, Legalize secondary boycotts, and picketing, though not yet solidarity strikes, which were made illegal in 1947 by the hideous Taft-Hartley law, make it harder to classify workers as independent contractors which was something Lyft and Uber fought and won in the recent California election. The legislation was already passed this February by the democratically controlled House of Representatives, but it will never see the light of day in a Mitch McConnell-controlled Senate, let alone get signed into law with Trump as president. There's hope if Democrats can wrestle away the Senate and the White House. So the PRO Act, okay, the Democrats didn't deliver for labor. Card check was a proposal then. It was promised but got nowhere when it mattered. Okay, so call your congressman. Talk to your friends, the PRO Act. And let's have Allen Ginsberg. Who's
9: that, Jimmy Berman? I heard you drop his name. What has he got to say? What papers is he selling? I don't know if he's the guy I met or ain't the same. Well, that Jimmy Berman was a boy that is worth tellin'. Jimmy Berman on the corner sold the New York Times. Jimmy Berman in New York, he had a long, long climb. Started as a shoeshine boy, ended on Times Square. Jimmy Berman, what's that rose you got settin' in your hair? Jimmy Berman, what's your sex? Why you hang around here all day? Jimmy Berman, what love next? Oh, what do you pray? want to sleep with night, Jimmy boy, would you like come with me? Jimmy Berman, oh my love, oh what misery. Jimmy Berman, do you feel the same as what I do? Jimmy Berman, won't you come home and make love with me too? Jimmy Furman I'll take my clothes off Lay me down in bed Jimmy and drop your pants I'll give you some good air. 18 year old Jimmy This boy is my delight 18 year old Jimmy I love him day and night Now I know I'm getting I'm kinda old to chase for Jimmy's Dale, But I won't tell you other love it me be too long a to tale Jimmy Berman, please love me I'll throw myself at your feet Jimmy Berman, I'll give you money Oh, of that beneath Jimmy Berman, just give me Your heart and yeah, your soul Jimmy Burman, please come home with me. I would be home. Jimmy Burman on the street, waiting for his guide. Jimmy Burman, as I pass, gives me a holy eye. Jimmy Burman, he has watched and seen the strangers. does yoga, he smokes a little brass. Jimmy Berman's back is straight, he knows what to buy back. Jimmy Berman don't take junk, he don't shoot speed neither. Jimmy Berman's got a healthy mind and Jimmy Berman is ours. Jimmy Berman, Jimmy Berman, I will say goodbye. You till I die, Jimmy Burman, Jimmy Burman, wait for me as well. Jimmy Burman, Jimmy Burman, we've abolished hell.
10: Daddy,
11: you do not do, you do not do, any more black shoe in which I have lived like a foot for 30 years, poor and white, barely daring to breathe or ha Daddy, I have had to kill you. You died before I had time, marble heavy, a bag full of God, ghastly statue with one gray toe big as a Frisco seal and ahead in the freakish Atlantic, where it pours bean green over blue in the waters of beautiful Nosset. I used to pray to recover you, ach, do, in the German tongue in the Polish town, scraped flat by the roller of wars, wars, wars. But the name of the town is common. My Polack friend says there are a dozen or two. So I never could tell where you put your foot, your root. I never could talk to you. The tongue stuck in my jaw. It stuck in a barbed wire snare. Eech, 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 eech. I could hardly speak. I thought every German was you. And the language obscene, an engine, an engine, chuffing me off like a Jew. A Jew to Dachau, Auschwitz, Belsen. I began to talk like a Jew. I think I may well be a Jew. The snows of the Tyrol, the clear beer of Vienna are not very pure or true. With my gypsy ancestress and my weird luck and my tarok pack and my tarok pack, I may be a bit of a Jew. I have always been scared of you with your Luftwaffe, your gobbledygoo and your neat moustache and your Aryan eye a bright blue. Panzerman, Panzerman, oh you, not God but a swastika, so black no sky could squeak through. Every woman adores a fascist, the boot in the face, the brute, brute heart of a brute like you. You stand at the blackboard, Daddy, in the picture I have of you, a cleft in your chin instead of your foot, But no less a devil for that, no, not any less the black man who bit my pretty red heart in two. I was ten when they buried you. At twenty, I tried to die and get back, back, back to you. I thought even the bones would do. But they pulled me out of the sack and they stuck me together with glue. And then I knew what to do. I made a model of you, a man in black with a Mein Kampf look and a love of the rack and the screw. And I said, I do, I do. So, Daddy, I'm finally through. The black telephone's off at the root. The voices just can't worm through. If I've killed one man, I've killed two. The vampire who said he was you and drank my blood for a year. Seven years, if you want to know. Daddy, you can lie back now. There's a stake in your fat black heart, and the villagers never liked you. They are dancing and stamping on you. They always knew it was you. Daddy, daddy, you bastard, I'm through.
12: Sweet thing on the side Home cooking on the side Side order Could be a daughter And you're good Come on baby Eat the rich Put the fire on the side of a bitch Don't mess up, Don't you give me no switch Come on baby it just what you want Is it the meat you wanted to eat? How would you ever know? Hash browns and bacon strips I love the way that you lick your lips No fooling, I can see it drooling Feel the hunger grow. Come on! We switch Come on, baby, and eat the rich Come on, baby, and eat the rich Come on, honey, here's your supper Come on, baby, fight that sucker Can't tell me now.
6: that one for a while Eat the Rich by Motorhead (laughs) calling to mind uh, Jonathan Swift's essay a modest proposal where he thought that the way to get rid of the uh, excess population about the little street urchins who were running around was to eat them even put in a recipe. <laughs> well, Motorhead has another idea. Their idea is that we should eat the rich. There are 650 billionaires whose assets increase by $1 trillion so far during the pandemic. America, where are you? Where are all those things that we grew up with? Okay, eat the rich. And before that we had Sylvia Plath. Now even though Plath died in the 1960s, her poem, Daddy is a perfect farewell to Mr. Trump. Daddy, you bastard I'm through. And his fascistic ideas. This read that 12 U.S. Senators now, Republicans, will stand up to question the results of the election. America, what happened to you? Where did all your angels go? The assassins are in power. And before that, uh, a little humor. Allen Ginsberg with his song to Jimmy Berman. A newspaper boy, a come on song, I'll give you great head, he says. From his album, uh, is it First Blues, I think? Yeah, First Blues, Allen Ginsberg. Let's take a little break now, and then we'll come back with our Francesca's.
8: like to dress up
7: in later style,
6: cause I'm glad
7: I'm living. Take my troubles all with a smile, just because my color's shady. Live, baby, that's why they call me Shine.
6: So now we're going to talk to our two Francescas, or they're going to talk to us, and we'll start out with this question, Um, each time there's a murder on the street where a policeman shoots an unarmed or non-threatening person, somebody comes out, usually the mayor or Mr. Biden or somebody, come or Mr. Trump, comes out and says, well, yeah, there are a few bad apples. But by and large, you know, most of the police are really good people. Let's see what our Francesca says about that.
13: They say one bad apple spoils the bunch. So why doesn't that apply to cops? Oh wait, it does. Recently, we've seen a lot of viral videos and memes that are meant to show us that some cops are cool and hip and they're totally just like you and they wouldn't murder you in your home while you're trying to sleep police officers kneeling with Black Lives Matter protesters in Pittsburgh, hugging people in Cleveland and National Guard members dancing in Georgia. But all of those images are in direct contrast to the stories of George Floyd, Brianna Taylor, Tony McDade, Ryan Milton, Atiana Jefferson, Ora Rosser, Kiwi Herring, Philando Castile, Botham Jean, and countless others who've died at the hands of law enforcement. To be extraordinarily blunt, all of those people were murdered by police and cops playing basketball with teens or handing out ice cream won't bring them back nor will it stop the list of names from growing. The goal shouldn't be to comfort people with the existence of good cops, but instead to stop people from being killed and brutalized by the police, anywhere, ever. So this is the focus of the upcoming season of Decoded. Each week, we'll tackle a different problem with policing in America in hopes of addressing how we can end police violence and rethink what it means to live in safe communities. We're going to begin by looking at the idea of the mythical good cop, and why it fails to meaningfully address the systemic problems with policing. Whenever an instance of police violence gains national attention, the first argument that gets trotted out is that we can end police violence by making sure there are more good cops who can help stop the bad apples. And that's not just an idea that your weird uncle posts about on Facebook in between Greta Thunberg memes and conspiracy theories about pizza places. We've seen the good cops can fix it idea championed in op-eds by Forbes and The New York Times. There are a few reasons why this line of thinking is so appealing. There are over 800,000 police officers in this country, and the good cop rhetoric is an emotional appeal that asks and answers three main questions. Is it hard to be a police officer? Yes. Do police officers often find themselves in dangerous situations? Yes. In that group of over 800,000, are there bound to be well-intentioned police officers who don't like what they see across the country? Yes. But does any of that matter when it comes to stopping police violence? Not really. In fact, this system is built to suppress and punish those who try to challenge the way it's built, even if they're these so-called good cops. Take Carol Horn. After 19 years in the Buffalo PD, she intervened as her partner used a potentially lethal chokehold on a subject. The result was that Horn was accused of putting another officer's life in danger and fired one year before her pension would have started. In 2016, she told Spectrum News, if there are good officers, why don't they stand up? They don't stand up because of me. They don't want to end up in the same situation. And it's not just Carol Horn. There was Joe Crystal, who was fired for reporting police brutality in Baltimore. Laura Shook, who was fired in Indiana for reporting corruption. And Shanna Lopez, fired for reporting police officers that preyed on vulnerable women in Dallas. So in short, when there are good cops, the bad cops fire them. But the good cop rhetoric isn't just an emotional appeal. It's also a political one that helps increase police budgets. Because there's a cycle in America where police officials and politicians respond to high profile incidents by pledging more recruitment and training and better community policing practices. For example, after the killing of Mike Brown and Ferguson, the department of justice ultimately sued the city and fought to get more money for police technology, training and additional officers for the Ferguson police. Hmm, If only there were a movement that reimagined how we could spend that money to keep communities safer in new ways. So whenever someone asks, what about the good cops, they're fundamentally asking the wrong question. They should be asking, what does the state ask police forces to do? Because beyond the police, there's the court system and the prison industrial complex. Beyond those are the numerous local, state, and federal politicians, as well as prosecutors, who determine what is criminalized and who will respond. All of which is calculated to cost hundreds of billions of dollars annually. That's what we mean when we say policing is a systemic issue. The problem lies at the root from the war on crime in the 1960s to the subsequent war on drugs and notably the 1994 violent crime control and law enforcement act the police have been given a clear mandate by both prosecutors and politicians make arrests and fill prisons this is what both good cops and bad cops are tasked with doing since 1970 the prison population has increased 700% to 2.3 million people And in 2017, the FBI reported over 10.5 million arrests, less than 5% of which were for violent crimes. These eye popping numbers exist despite the fact that FBI statistics show that the violent crime rate fell 51% between 1993 and 2018, while property crime fell by 54%. So crime is down, but the prison population has somehow gone way, way up. The mandate to make more arrests and fill prisons is coming from our highest levels of government, and the police do so using legally sanctioned violence. Per the Mapping Police Violence Report in 2017, of the 1,147 police killings that year, most began with police responding to suspected nonviolent offenses or cases where no crime is reported, and 149 of the people killed that year were unarmed. This is what happens when police are given billions of dollars to focus on anticipating violent encounters, even though, per a New York Times survey, serious violent crimes make up 1% or less of 911 calls in cities like New Orleans, Baltimore, Seattle, San Diego, and so many more. In fact, violent crime rates don't make it any more or less likely for police departments to kill people. Cities like Spokane and Orlando had relatively low crime rates in 2017, but high rates of police violence. These statistics are perhaps the greatest proof that the Few Bad Apples defense isn't worth arguing. A 2018 Supreme Court decision upheld a police officer's right to use lethal force if they think a person might be a threat, even if no direct threat is made. This is part of what many call superpowers granted to police, including their ability to lie to suspects about things like physical evidence, eyewitnesses, and an accomplice's confession. They can even ignore your request for a lawyer. All of this has been affirmed by the court system, while qualified immunity, which we'll talk about in detail in our next episode, prevents police officers from being held liable for almost anything. So what do we do if the issue is much larger than good cops versus bad cops? Well, we can't answer every question in one episode, but for starters, police probably shouldn't be the first people we call when it comes to mental health crises, homelessness or domestic violence. We also shouldn't expect the local jail to be the largest mental health services institution in almost every major American city. And we can't keep criminalizing every issue because we don't have anyone else to take care of it besides police you know, the people who show up with a gun and are legally allowed to shoot you if they think you might be a threat. Political scientist, Naomi Murakawa said it extremely well. We should talk about what we are empowering police to do, not how they are doing it, not whether they are being nice when they carry out arrests. In future episodes, we'll be taking a deeper dive into how modern policing emerged and what alternatives can exist. For now, stay safe and remember not to lose hope in the possibility of a better future for all of us. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time right here on Decoded.
6: Okay, Francesca talked about cops. Cops, what? Mm -hmm. The power that they have, the power that we've given them as a society. Cops feel uh, they can shoot people and get away with it. And it's true.
14: Can we keep capitalism and stop...
6: Here's Francesca Fiorentini. In other words, can we
14: have Amazon and the Amazon? What about if the boxes doubled as levies? Please? I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and in this episode, we're looking at the failures of profit-driven climate change solutions and why the cooking of our planet is becoming a recipe for socialism. Once again, we've broken global temperature records, with July being the hottest month recorded since the invention of recording temperatures, which, if you're a right-winger, sounds like very biased framing. The libs never want to talk about the Hadean age when the Earth was molten lava. Typical. It's so hot that Greenland is losing ice that wasn't supposed to melt until 2070. The Arctic is on fire, and I'm pretending I belong at random pool parties. Oh, who who am I friends with? Oh, Derek. Or Michael. Matt. You're telling me there's no Matt here? So now seems like as good a time as every other moment prior till now to talk about climate change. The planet has already warmed by one degree Celsius since the time we started burning all these fossil fuels. And we're on track to warm by four degrees, possibly as soon as 2060. According to the most recent UN study, even two degrees of warming would mean millions more refugees, double the loss of food harvest, 10 centimeters of sea level rise, and an obliteration of all coral reefs. Which means we've got 12 years to have a shot at keeping the temperature to a still bad but manageably terrifying one and a half degrees Celsius of warming. So yeah, banning plastic straws ain't gonna cut it, even though it's fun to watch so-called liberal paper straws trigger our president into doing this. His campaign started selling Trump-themed uh, plastic straws <laughs> so you could buy a pack of 10 for $15. $15 for 10 straws? That's a $1.50 per straw. If that's how much Trump thinks straws cost, How much is his dealer charging him for Adderall? Yeah, that'll be $700,000. Part of the reason we're at such a breaking point is thanks to years of shallow solutions. Solutions often devised by the same corporate interests that got us into this mess in the first place. One of those solutions is carbon cap-and-trade, which tries to get polluters to pollute less by limiting the amount of carbon any corporation can emit, but also by allowing them to purchase carbon limits from other companies who haven't used theirs up. Cap-and-trade has already been implemented in countries around the world and in a number of U.S. states, but many say that it doesn't actually stop emissions it just spreads them around and creates a speculative market for carbon like imagine if you could buy and sell Weight Watchers points to keep eating pizza someone would be making money but no one's losing weight plus we'd see the rise of a frightening thin people mafia who control the whole racket just listen to one researcher who says cap-and-trade pushes us in the opposite direction of where we need to be going.
10: We need to overcome our addiction to fossil fuels, and the problem with cap-and-trade is, is that it stands in the way of doing that in in many ways. It's, it's, it's a way of providing pollution rights to some of the worst polluters so that they can delay the kind of structural change that's necessary.
14: He's right. That's not how you fight an addiction. If you want to get your brother off heroin, you don't split up his stash between your mom and dad like... Let's all just do a little bit of heroin to keep Brad from doing a lot of bit of heroin. At this point, cap-and-trade isn't even a relevant solution anymore, because it's too slow to be viable. California, the second-largest carbon polluter in the nation, but first in my heart, reduced its emissions by almost 9% in three years, which is not bad. But do the math. It's not nearly enough if we've got only 12 years to get to zero. Silicon Valley is still gonna be underwater, and then we'll have to deal with a whole bunch of flotation-device startups, and that just seems exhausting. So cap and trade won't get us there. What about innovation? We'll just ask the science nerds to come up with something. I mean, other than the ones telling us to stop burning fossil fuels. Innovation has been the aim of private companies also looking to get rich off the climate crisis, floating ideas like geoengineering, which includes one plan to spray reflective aerosols into the stratosphere to block the sun. Yeah, aerosol. If only our climate change-denying president knew that this whole time the answer has been hairspray. Turns out, though, that that scheme, like many others, has too many unforeseen side effects to be feasible. Things like stopping rain and totally vindicating chemtrail conspiracists. Even if wacky inventions or cap-and-trade worked, they're still too slow. Meanwhile, the U.S. continues to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $649 billion a year. So not only are they making the planet uninhabitable, they're getting a goddamn discount. These faux solutions have come and gone, all while climate change has been getting worse, which means now we need to do far more in way less time.
10: The longer we wait, the more that the response challenges our economic system because we need to cut so much and so deeply.
14: What does she mean that the response will challenge our economic system? Well, that's because our economic system is currently based on using up all of Earth's natural resources with no regard for the actual Earth all to turn a profit and create economic growth, or GDP. You remember GDP from our video on the economy, which you should totally watch. And while you're at it, subscribe. GDP is that phantom number that many agree is useless, but is actually incredibly harmful when it comes to climate change.
5: Since when was GDP a sensible measure of human welfare? And yet everything that governments want to do is to try to boost GDP. Now. People like the OECD or the World Bank who say, oh, we're not asking for a lot of growth, just 3% a year. That means doubling in 24 years. Yeah, we're bursting through all the environmental boundaries and screwing the planet already. You want to double it? We have to overthrow this system, which is eating the planet with perpetual growth.
14: I love how blown this host mind is. Rarely do you see the precise moment that someone gets woke. You mean it's not about plastic straws? Slowing down economic growth has actually been the only thing that has drastically stopped greenhouse gas emissions.
6: The only thing in the last 40 years that has measurably reduced global greenhouse
11: gas emissions is reductions in economic growth. When the Eastern Bloc collapsed in the early 90s, that led to global emissions reductions.
14: He's right. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, greenhouse gas emissions dropped by about 40%. Apparently, people not eating meat because of the high prices had a lot to do with it. It was nothing but veggie borscht for them. And to think, now it's way less painful to avoid eating meat with things like the Impossible Whopper, which I will try as soon as I stop being afraid of it. How does it bleed? The evidence is there that unless we're willing to rethink capitalism, we might have to rethink life itself because we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. We've been obsessed with doing more to stop climate change, making even more money, when the answer is actually keeping fossil fuels in the ground. Doing less, like Disney live-action reboots. Do less. Less extraction of oil, less production, fewer or no yachts for the DeVos family. Renewable energy, solar and wind can replace coal, gas and oil, but we still can't keep endlessly producing and consuming. Even a U.N. official back in 2015 said as much, and that got the attention of Fox News' Greg Gutfeld, who quoted her on his show.
2: This is probably the most difficult task to (laughs) intentionally transform the economic development model for the first time in human history.
14: And predictably, that was met with red-baiting.
2: Well, she's wrong. See Mao and the 50 million dead, or Stalin. Hell, look at Venezuela right now. It's a crap show without toilet paper. Seriously, they don't have toilet paper in Venezuela.
14: Oh, where we're going, Greg, you won't need toilet paper because the whole world will be one giant bidet. You can wash your face, ass, wherever you want. Beyond the red-baiting, there's an honest question. If we slow down production, will there be jobs? Enter the Green New Deal, a plan introduced by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and that other guy. The Green New Deal is a blueprint for a 10-year mobilization to get to net-zero greenhouse gas emissions by taking major steps like moving to renewable energy and building public transportation, all with the labor of millions of
10: newly created jobs. This is a call to reorganize and to make sure that we are fighting for a just economy for a just society, a just environment, and a just future for the United States of America and the world.
14: Mm, Sorry, having an ASMR moment. And whenever there's a plan for massive public investment and putting people over profit, it scares the 1% and their mouthpieces a whole lot.
13: They went looking for an issue that would justify a hostile takeover of the economy. Climate change seems scary, so they went with that.
14: Oh my god. Tucker Carlson would rather human civilization die than live in a more equal country. Also, note what's going on just to his right. Yeah, those are updates on an abnormally large hurricane off the Gulf Coast. I love how there's an infiltrator at Fox fighting the machine from the inside, and it's the weather. It will be hard to rein in emissions, and capitalism for that matter,
10: but it is possible. We must try, with your help, With your insistence, with your organizing, with your demands, with your voting, with your mobilizing a broader electorate than we have ever seen before in American history, we do not have to go down that path. It's
14: too late to stop some climate chaos. We're living it. But are we going to die from the things we love, no matter how humiliating? Will we be the David Carradine of civilizations? Or are we going to get real about real solutions?
5: There's time. But we can't do it by just pissing around at the margins of the problem. We've got to go straight to the heart of capitalism and overthrow it.
14: In other words, wouldn't we rather be red than dead? Thanks so much for watching News Broke. Follow me at Franny Fio and follow AJ Plus and News Broke on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the things. Do you guys think that the US has what it takes to transform to a new economic model? Could we, could we do it? Let me know in the comments below and we will see you next week.
6: Those were our Francescas. Um, the last one was sort of a takedown of capitalism, capitalism which is eating the earth. In the words of that guy, the <coughs> English climate activist, eleven thirty. When Nixon pushed postal workers, they pushed back. Let's talk about old Lang Syne. Hmm, okay. have to find it again. Durantini, I mean, Harley Mallet says somewhere that uh, we're acting like all of a sudden, we're going to change at the last moment. We're going to change how we act and work as a society and save ourselves. It's a delusion. "All Lang Zion," a song by Robert Burns. Here we go. Scottish poet Robert Burns.
15: never brought to sign We'll take a cup o' oh, kindness yet for days of old land sign We twa here on boot the brace and put the Gowan's fine. wandered many we fit Since days of old land And we twi old in the barn Free morning sun till dine But.
6: song, "Old Lang Syne, and let's see, Robert Burns, a sort of a Scottish national poet, set to the tune of a traditional folk song. It's well known in many countries, especially in the English-speaking world. Days of old lang syne, days of long, long ago. The sake of old times. Is it right that old times should be forgotten? No. Auld Lang Syne is traditionally sung at the conclusion of New Year gatherings in Scotland and around the world. In countries other than Scotland, the hands are often crossed from the beginning of the song, at variance with Scottish custom. The song has been translated in Denmark, the Netherlands, where it was a football song, used as a football song. West Bengal and Bangladesh, the direct inspiration for the Bengali song, Memories of Good Old Days, composed by Nobel Laureate Rabindranath Tagore. South Korea, it served as a national anthem of the Korean national government. Was the melody of South Korea's national anthem. Auld Lang Syne doesn't come from nowhere. Great Scottish poet Robert Burns. My love is like a red, red rose is uh, one of his best known lines. All right, let's get back into labor now. Um, Theron Nelson, Labor History in Two, December 31st.
16: I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1987. That was the day OSHA issued its final rule on grain handling facilities. This standard was established almost 10 years after discussions and congressional hearings began on the subject. There had been a series of catastrophic explosions in the late 1970s, which dominated national attention. A special task force was created by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to investigate grain elevator safety and explosions after 13 USDA inspectors were killed in 1977. Five separate incidents involving grain elevator explosions killed 59 and injured another 49 just in December of that year alone. The USDA task force issued a report with guidelines soon after the National Grain and Feed Association conducted its own research and guideline issuance. By 1981, the Food and Allied Service Trades Department of the AFL-CIO petitioned OSHA to promulgate a new rule regulating the buildup of explosive dust in grain elevators. When the final rule was issued, it focused on requirements for the control of fires, grain dust explosions, and hazards associated with entry into bins, silos, and tanks, as well as hazards associated with the release of hazardous energy from equipment. The standard held employers responsible for developing emergency action and escape plans, as well as worker safety training. The standard also set rules for safe entry procedures. When the standard came up for review in 1998, OSHA noted that for the previous 40 years, there had been 600 explosions, 250 deaths, and over 1,000 injuries related to grain elevator explosions. They also determined that there had been a 70% decrease in fatalities from explosions and a 44% decrease in suffocations in the years after the final rule had been issued. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
6: January 1st,
16: I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1966. That was the day 33,000 transit workers of TWU Local 100 waged a 13-day strike in New York City. They shut down 135 miles of subway, 2,200 buses, and affected over 6 million daily riders. Wages and working conditions had been sliding for years at the MTA. By 1965, transit workers made far less than other municipal employees. Speed up and expanded job duties increased as the authority eliminated thousands of positions. Rank and file members held the union partially responsible. They demanded a contract that met their needs and would walk out if necessary. TWU President Mike Quill broke off negotiations on New Year's Eve. Moments later, he was televised, ripping up a temporary injunction, barring the strike. The union demanded contract changes, including a 32-hour, four-day workweek, a 30% wage increase, and better pension and vacation terms. Quill and eight other TWU leaders were jailed for defiance of the injunction. Having been found guilty of contempt, Quill responded, the judge can drop dead in his black robes. Politicians and even the president lambasted the intolerable conditions the strike had created. Editorials in the New York Times lamented that not since the draft riots of the Civil War has the normal course of life in this city been more profoundly altered for so many days. In the face of this, the transit workers stood tough and won big. Their victory included a 15% wage increase, improved pension benefits, and $2 million towards improved working conditions. The strike also resulted in the overhaul of laws governing public sector workers, granting them the right to organize and bargain collectively, thus leveling the playing field for all public employees.
6: Like what you hear? Check out. And January 2nd.
16: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. This day in labor history, the year was 1946. That was the day Americans awoke to national headlines that the strike wave already underway since the previous fall would most likely continue and intensify well into the new year. Close to half a million workers across several industries had been on strike for months. The immediate post-war labor unrest came as a result of slashing wages, hours, and jobs, while productivity rose as industry engaged in peacetime reconversion. Newspapers anxiously stressed that President Truman and the Department of Labor were working overtime to get hundreds of thousands of UAW members demanding a 30% wage increase back to work. The press feared another 1.5 million would be idle before the month was out. UAW officials, whose members had been on strike for 43 days, stated theirs was a strike against breadlines soon to come if wartime wages and standards of living were not maintained. Headlines Counseled the public on looming strikes from steel, packing, phone, and appliance workers. The Packing House Union announced 200,000 workers across 147 plants would walk out within two weeks, while steel workers announced 700,000 more were ready to strike. The UE prepared 200,000 of its members to strike at GE, Westinghouse, and GM's electric division, while phone workers and related industries planned a walkout of 250,000. President Harry Truman responded with fact-finding boards that would impose 30-day strike bans while investigating strike breeding industrial disputes. He also invoked the threat of widespread seizures if necessary and did so in a number of industries including coal, packing and the railroads. 1946 saw the largest wave of striking workers taking to the picket lines in US history fighting for better wages, hours and conditions.
6: Labor history in two minutes by Rick Smith, check it out. He's got the whole calendar covered. So it's about time for us to get out of here. We didn't get to talk about, uh, Sarah Nelson, uh, up and coming. We didn't get to talk about postal workers, but we'll get to them next week. This is The B, and this is The Labor and Love Show, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. let go out with Coco Taylor. <laughs> never, but never.
3: I'm not afraid of
0: and the world around you, at BuckskinRevolution.com.
17: Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my
3: dogs think I'm funny, Daryl.
17: Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh,
8: shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two.
17: You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two people's
6: So you're saying I could tell my
17: jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey you,
0: poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio.
2: The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine, Orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow
0: talk to under at skinonskins.com. At 20th and Mission, check them out at skinonskins.com.
13: L-S-D, fap, acid and fapping, fapping and acid, acid and fapping, fapping and acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping.
0: What is
1: What could it be? Black plastic. The ruling nation, give it to me every time. Ah!
2: My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin. Give entertaining speeches. Have scandalous affairs. Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things.